Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us man's need of God's righteousness for salvation. Today we'll study several biblical terms and how they relate to this righteousness. Let us turn to the book of Romans, chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, I want to start reading from verse number 21. And then we will come to our text in verse 24. But we might read a little bit beyond verse 24, but our text is going to be verse number 24. Romans chapter 3. And let's read from verse number 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace to the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the way of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, I want to move a little bit further this morning. And I want to point out to you that the Apostle Paul goes further and he says, Two things I want to deal with this time. Number one, that this righteousness that God makes available man that comes through faith is entirely an act of grace and a free gift to man. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And then the other thing I want to point out this morning, that this grace that comes... Uh, is given to us by faith is an act of divine grace but God can only act in grace because of the redemptive work of Christ Christ did something that enabled God's grace to be extended to man these are what Paul is going to deal with here in just a moment so let us begin to deal with these two things this morning now notice three words Three words are the key to the first part of verse number 24. The word justified, the word freely, and the word grace. These are three essential elements. And I would say to you that they ought to be part of the Christian vocabulary. Grace, justified, and freely. Now, I, 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 look, ignorance in respect to these words is no excuse for the believer. 
ignorance for the believer means that we do not intelligently understand scripture. And the believers ought to be intelligently understand scripture. So we need to become familiar with these terms. God's rescue plan involves be helping man to be justified. Now what does it mean, justified? I understand there's a television program called Justified. I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard it announced. You guys might be familiar with it and so on and so on. But what does it mean when the Bible talks about justified? Well, I just want to point out to you that this is one of Paul's favorite terms. In this epistle alone, Paul uses the word justified ten times. But he uses also some other cognate terms that are linked with the root word Justified. He uses the word justification three times. He uses the word justifier once. He uses the word justifieth two times and the word justify once. So in some way, in this epistle, 17 different times, there's a reference to this key concept of justification. Now, if the repetition of a word is any indication of a theme of a book, this is one of the central themes in the book of Romans. As you know, Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, started about justification by faith alone. It's out of this book that came about the great Protestant Reformation. But what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean? The thing that you need to understand that this is a legal forensic term belonging to the law courts. Paul borrowed it out of the jurisprudence of the Roman courts. And he brought it into the Christian faith and gave it a distinct meaning. Now remember when we began to look at the book of Rome, we said that Romans is like a court scene where Paul is a prosecutor the current attorney. And he has prosecuted the case of God against man to prove that man is guilty. Throughout this book of Romans, Paul is... Clearly showing human guilt. And that is why this legal term is used. So by the time we come to the end of verse number 20 of chapter 3, the verdict is pronounced in the law court that man is guilty under divine wrath. But when we think the case is closed and there's no hope for the guilty person, the judge gratuitously announced that he has an amnesty for guilty man. And he says to Paul, the prosecuting attorney, now you must become the defense attorney and represent the sinner. And let him know that God's amnesty involves a free pardon, forgiveness and restoration. In other words, God says, I, God, out of my sovereign grace, have decided to pardon man and justify man of my own free will. There is nothing in him that moves me to do it. It is an act of free grace. Because let me ask you a question. What if it were not an act of free grace? And God decided to justify you about how much sin you committed. So I know my sister here don't commit much sin. So she should get more in the kingdom of God. But the other believers in the place that might be involving great sin. So let me tell you, how are you going to get in now? And when we get it there, we're going to have a strong argument. 
as to where we sit and what we do. That is why it must be of grace. And boy, would it not be a task to put us all the way in the scale of how much sin we commit up there. To decide who committed less sin. Look, God said, I've done with this. I am acting out of free grace. I'm offering an amnesty out of my own free will. I'm going to justify you. Now, let me just say to you that when the word justify is used, it's a word that God makes a declaration. God makes a pronouncement. Justification doesn't mean that you yourself are righteous and you will not sin. That's not what it means. Justification is a legal term where God pronounced to you, I will treat you as if you are righteous in my sight. I will deal with you as a righteous person. It doesn't mean that you are, you are no longer righteous. You're, you, I mean that you are completely transformed righteously. Now this confuses a lot of people. Because some people say, well, Pastor, I don't feel justified because I still have a tendency to sin. But that's because you don't understand what the doctrine is about. It's not that when God justifies you, that he changed you from being unrighteous inside to become a right, so that you only do good things. That's, we're coming to that, by the way. How then do you deal with the man, the flesh? We're coming to that. But what Paul is saying, that God of his own grace have decided, I, sovereign God of the universe, acting out of my own free will and grace, declares that the man that believes in Christ is righteous as Christ is righteous. I put Christ's righteousness to his account. That's it. I've used an illustration before and I want to use it again. I, I really don't know who to use these days. But because we're Caribbean people, let's use Obama. Here you are, down in these small Caribbean islands, and you have run up such a debt that you can't pay. You went over here by first choice or you went over here by Epicurean and uh, you, you had to charge a conk and they allowed you to just take as much as you want. But you forgot you had to pay for it. So what happened? You've been cashing in and cashing in and cashing and then suddenly the boss says to you, but wait a minute, you owe me $50,000. Pay up. But you don't have it. You just don't have the $50,000. But here, you go to court now. The judge says, did you take credit over there? Did you agree that you would pay? Yes. But judge, I can't pay. So here it goes in the paper. A mother of five, unable to meet her obligations to a big super, supermarket, and it's given 10 years in jail, can't pay. And that goes on the news. Mr. Obama reads it in the papers or hears it on the news and said, I can't believe this. Now, remember, he gets sometimes a million dollars for just speaking for a few hours. Lots of money. All these politicians get a lot of money. I don't know if they're worth it, to be honest with you. But they get it. So he says, what is $50,000 to me? That's my interest. So he writes the young lady a check saying, to Epi, I pay in full her debt. And she, he sends a letter to you and he sends a check in the mail. 
And then you open the check. And you see paid in full. $50,000. President Obama. Now you've got one or two things to do. You say, man, this is a fake thing. This can't be true. This can't be true. A man like that can't think about me. He's too important to think about me. So what you do, rather than, hey, lawyer, come take it to Epicurean and pay my debt. You take that good news. And you either rip it to threads. You use it as toilet paper. But you just said this can't be true. Now, if you're wise, if you're wise, what you do, you take the check, you send it to Epicurean and say to the, the, say to the judge, get me out of here, please. I don't belong here. Now, you have no credit, but somebody who has this amount of money now pays your debt. And that is now put to your account. So you're standing before the court. Is what? You're justified. Listen. That is what salvation, this is what God has done for me. Not that I deserve it. Not that I could pay the debt. But you see, the problem is that we can't understand somebody loving us so much and having so much grace to reach down where we don't deserve and do something so gratuitously. To us, it is so much. Something has to be done by us. It is so ingrained in us that we must merit salvation. That we find it difficult to embrace what is called justification. What I'm saying to you is very simple. Here you are, a sinner with all your sins. You paid your first on Jesus Christ and God puts you in Christ. And all that he is, is how God deals with you now. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. No, you're still a sinner by the way. But then, pastor, if I'm still a sinner, how can God treat me as righteous? Because you are in Christ. Yes. Yes. Look, anybody ever treated you kind because of your father? Or because of your mother? Or because of some family member? You ever had anybody say, you know what? Man, I'm going to help you because your daddy was so kind to me. Your mom was so kind. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what they did. What I'm saying to you this morning that salvation must be understood in the context of a righteousness that God imparts to us based on faith in that. But it is given to us solely on the basis of grace. God declares you righteous and God says to you, I will treat you as you are as righteous as my son. Therefore, you can come into my presence. You have access to me. I have restored the relationship. By the way, if that is not true, who of among us dare go before God? Who among us could go before God if we don't have Christ's righteousness? Who can approach Him? So when Paul says that God has declared us or justified us, Paul is saying that God has forensically as the judge of the universe legally declared that you are now in a righteous standing with him and he's going to treat you as you are as righteous as his son. See? That, sir, is what justification 
is all about. Now, do you see why we need to be familiar with these Christian words and this, this Christian vocabulary? We're not trying to be difficult this morning. We're just simply saying to you, these are words that you ought as a Christian to know. Your, your joy, your assurance, your sense of well-being depends on your capacity to understand what God has done for you. And I will tell you this. There's not a single Christian here who doesn't understand that. They can ever know what is called Christian joy. Because every morning you get up. You ever got up yet and didn't feel saved? No, I'm serious. You ever got up yet and didn't feel saved? Let's be honest. It happens more, more frequently than we think. So maybe something we did. Maybe something we thought. Maybe in a moment we watched something. Maybe we heard something. And then we go through this, this period, you know, how could I be saved? You know, am I really, really, really saved? So you go through this top, this survey, up and down. You know, no joy, no peace, no happiness, no contentment, no assurance. That's because you are thinking it depends on you. But the moment you understand justification, you understand, sir, that I am right with God. God is right with me. Hallelujah. I have a perfect standing with him. I want to stop there for just a moment because we're going to come back to the question then. Pastor, if that is true of a believer that he is declared to be outwardly, to be righteous before God, but he's not inwardly righteous, how does God deal with that? When we come to deal with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, you will explain that God now gives the believer an enabler. He's called the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit now begins to work on the inward part of the believer, transforming the believer into the image of Christ. See, That is his work, that is his ministry. He is trying to make the believer what God has declared him to be. He is trying to produce righteousness in the believer's life. To create a desire for righteousness. Our Lord made a statement, Blessed are he that what? Hunger and what? Thirst for what? Righteousness. Because he will what? He be filled. There's a craving now for the believer to want to be more like God, to be more like Christ, to be more righteous, to be less sinful in his lifestyle. That is a work that God begins to do through the Holy Spirit. He's now bringing you to a greater uh, conformity to the image of his son. He's now trying to make you what he's already declared you to be. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll come to that. But right now I'm saying to you that the thing that Paul talks about here is that God has justified man. Publicly, legally, forensically as the judge of the universe. He has said to that man who puts his faith and trust in Christ, I forgive you, I pardon you, I declare you righteous in my sight and I will deal with you on the basis of that declaration. My dear friend, when we sin, we don't lose our sonship. We lose our fellowship with God. Some of you may not understand all that I'm saying. But I just want you to know that in my judgment, it's an attack on the sufficiency of Christ's redemptive work. If Christ only paid for the sins I commit while I'm living... And I got to pay for the sins after I'm died. He did not die 
for the sins of the whole world. Am I making sense or not? Tell me. I mean, to me, it is so obvious. So obvious. By the way, I went into my, uh, my archives and I got it there and I realized that I had a, I had a, a document on Out of Darkness. I didn't realize I had it. Honestly, I had it there for a long time. And I was going through something to do with the radio program. And I said, wait a minute. I had this. And I read it through. And it is such a fascinating doctrine that, uh, document that answers this question. I, you know what? I got all the guy's email address. And I had Brother Robert scan it on the, on the computer. And I sent it to all of these guys. So that they would have a suitable response to this matter. Brothering, the Apostle Paul is saying to us here in this passage that the salvation plan that God offers to man is a plan about providing a righteousness. It is this righteousness that we get through Christ on that basis that God is now able to declare me righteous before God. I have none. He has all and he gives it to me. Now if you don't understand that as a believer... I don't know how you will ever know joy and assurance in your Christian life. Honest to God, I don't know. So if you're trying to keep yourself by being a good Christian, you don't understand justification by faith. Your whole motive is wrong. Now I, I'm trying my best to be the best Christian I can be. Out of gratitude for what he did for me. I don't want to break the heart of God by sin. That's my motivation. But not that I'm doing it in order to get more saved than I am before. Look, let me put it this way. A lot of us have not done a lot of things in life because we didn't want to hurt mom or daddy. Honest to God, it's not because we didn't want to do it. We were tempted to do so many things. But we just couldn't break mom's heart or dad's heart. Our love for them, our commitment to them, kept us, restrained us. Am I right or am I wrong? And that's how it should be with a believer. We're not stopping from sinning and stop doing things wrong because it's going to save us or make us more saved. But because out of gratitude and kindness and the love of God and don't want to break God's heart and offend God I live a life that is pleasing to him does that mean I always do? absolutely not but when I do fall I do sin I'm not panicking now that I'm going to outer darkness don't panic over that that's taken care of what you panic now is about your relationship with God. So this justification involves three things. Number one, it involves reckoning the righteousness of Christ to your account. Number two, it involves changing the relationship between you and God because that righteousness now enables God to treat you as a son. And number three, from God's perspective, it puts you in Christ. And that's why the Bible always speaks to you about in Christ. 
in Christ, in Christ. Let me give you another verse, by the way. Do you know the Bible points out that when Christ died, we died with him? And when Christ was resurrected, we resurrected with him? But you know it says more than that? Do you know it says that positionally, in God's way of thinking, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places? Because we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, and Christ is on the throne, where are we? On the throne too. Brother, you begin to get some, you got some insight there. You got some insight there, see? Now the next word I want to deal with very quickly is the word being. Being justified. Now the Apostle Paul now uses the present tense. The Apostle Paul is now saying that right now at this present moment, I am justified. I don't wait until the judgment for God to justify me. I presently am justified. I know I'm righteous in God's sight. In other words, the Apostle Paul is asserting at the moment that you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, God at that moment declares you righteous before him and forgiven and pardoned. Present. Now, I want to show you why this little word is so important. It is so important when you begin to understand the life of the great German reformer called Martin Luther. Luther had been brought up as a Catholic. And as a Catholic... He's been taught what all Catholics are taught. That there's no such thing as a sore assurance of salvation now. There is no Catholic you will ever meet that he will say to you, I know I'm saved. They will all tell you, we can't know we're saved now. So you've got to depend on the church. You've got to depend on the seven sacraments. You've got to depend on penance. And then... What you can do, you can have the mass said for you. There are so many different types. High mass, low mass, in between mass. That's the environment Luther was brought up in. He had absolute no assurance. But when the light came, when the light came and he saw a man is saved by faith and faith alone. And he saw this great doctrine of justification by faith. Luther not only rejoiced, but Luther made it in his mind, the whole world must know this. And that's how we got the Protestant Reformation. See? Just an understanding of this basic fundamental doctrine. And thank God he didn't keep it to himself. Amen. Now by the way, it was always in scripture. It is even there now as I read. But until God removed the scales... From a man's eye or from a woman's eye, you will read it and it makes no sense. It doesn't record. And then one day God removed the scales and you said, you mean to tell me that was there all the time? That is why we say salvation of the Lord. And what we mean by that is that God has to be the first mover. The first mover. And then notice the third word, the word freely. In verse 24, being justified freely. Well, the Apostle Paul is making it clear that this salvation, this gospel, this righteousness that God makes available to us, is available to us freely from God. 
We must not work for it. There's no penance we can do for it. We cannot cloist ourselves somewhere in a monkery and uh, somehow produce this righteousness that we need. Even if we observe the seven sacraments that are mandatory for Catholics, that cannot solve the problem. And by the way, we don't need to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. I repeat, we don't need a pilgrimage to Mecca. See, for this to happen. And you know what? We don't have to feed the, the gods like the Hindus feed their gods. And the Buddhists feed their ancestral gods. Nothing we can do. Freely. Freely. We don't merit. We don't merit. The word that Paul uses heard it where the word Dorian. And it means for not. It means gratis. It means without a cause. Now let me show you how that word is explained. You remember in John chapter 15 and verse 25. When Jesus made a statement. They hated me without a cause. It's the same word Dorian. They hated me freely. No reason whatsoever. See? And that is what Paul is here saying in connection with this, this grace. I, I mean, this, 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 this uh, righteousness that God makes available. It is freely, Dorian, without a cause. Without a cause in yourself. It's a free act of God. Would you like to just turn to two passages of scripture with me please in the book of Revelations? John is about to finish this great book. And just as he's about to close it, the Lord says to John, Look, let's stop here one moment, please. I want you to put something in here. And this is what he says in verse number six. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that the thirst of the fountain of living water. How? Freely, without a cause, freely. Look at chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hear say, come. And let him that the thirst come. And whosoever will, let them take of the water of life. How? Freely. Freely. It's a free gift. And then we come to a fourth word in this verse. And that's the word grace. Freely by his grace or of his grace. The Greek word is the word charis. It means unmerited favor. It means kindness shown to one who is utterly undeserving. It means spontaneous love acting in kindness to one who doesn't do It is not mercy. Mercy is God withholding from me what I deserve. In his mercy, he withholds his judgment. Grace is not God withholding. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Salvation. He's not withholding now the wrath. He's giving you something gratuitously. The Apostle Paul... Reminds us of this grace. Now for the sake of time, I want to mention one last word. And that is found in the last part. Through what? The redemption. 
that's in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Well, Pastor, how is it possible for holy, righteous God to make righteousness available to me at no cost to me? He gives me something I don't deserve. Now we all know that nothing in life is free. So we say. It is free for us. But at great cost to God. Somebody had to pay the price. Have it ever occurred to you that God by divine fiat. Said. Let there be light. Let there be trees. Let there be. It, divine fiat. Just by command. Let there be. But when it comes to man's sin. It's not by divine fiat. It's by the divine death of his son. He paid the price. That enabled God. To pardon me. And act in grace towards me. And offer me the righteousness. That's required. To give me a standing before God. That's why Paul now adds. By the what? The redemption. That's in Christ Jesus. Now let me say something very quickly about this word redemption. There are three words for redemption in the Bible. The first word is the word agorazo. You find that in 1 Corinthians 6.20, 1 Corinthians 7.23 and 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. Agorazo. The word, the word there means to buy out of the slave market. That's what it means. And what the term was borrowed Borrowed from Roman custom of selling slaves. And it pictures the sinner as one in bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, bondage to corruption. But not only that, he's in bondage to the law. How is he going to be set free? And just like one would go into the marketplace and purchase the slave and even release him. The Bible says the picture is God sending his son into the marketplace of sin and seeing man in his bondage and Christ willing to pay the price. He said, I pay the price to set that man free. Free him! Free. That's what the word means. Agarazzo! The marketplace of sin. Free him! I pay the price. The next word is the word ex Azarazo. And it means... To buy the slave out of the market. Which it means, it means that he can no longer be put up for sale again. Ex agarazo. My friend, I'm convinced we really don't understand this great salvation we have. I am totally convinced. There's nothing more marvelous and great as this. But we treat it with such scant recognition and respect. And then the next word for redemption is the word Lutheran. And it means to set free by paying a price. And of course, we know what that price is. Peter said what? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed by corruptible things of silver and gold... But with the precious blood of Christ as of the lamb without spot and without blemish. Hallelujah. 
someone paid the price for me. Now, could I say something else? Do you see the folly of saying that all religions are alike? Do you see the folly of saying there are many ways to God? Listen, Christ and Christ alone is the way to God. I say that unapologetically, unequivocally, and I say that with great certainty that it is Christ and Christ alone. We sing a song on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He and he alone. See? He paid the redemption. So here's it now Paul is saying. Righteousness I need. God provides it. God is able to provide it on the basis of grace. I must not do anything for it. But the reason why I can do this is because Christ took your place. Died in your place. Made this righteousness of you. And now God takes it and dispenses it to you freely. But at the cost. Of his son's death. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved? You know him. You know him. I would say one last thing in closing. We're coming to the next verse. Dealing with the propitiation. We'll come to that next week. But may I say to you. If Christ. Paid the ultimate price for you. And it took his death to free you from the bondage of sin. Why then do you volunteer to go back into bondage? Why? I can't fathom that. Now here I am. I ain't got no home. Somebody builds a home for me. Somebody put, I'm using an illustration, okay? Somebody puts a bed in there, they put furniture, they put food, they put everything. They just give it to you out of kindness. And guess what? I go and live on the streets. I'm just using an illustration. I go and live on the streets. I mean, you have no heart of gratitude, you have no idea of the cost. But that's like the man who says he's a Christian but goes on living as though he's not a Christian. Nothing has changed. Nothing has happened. Honest to God, I don't know how you do it. I really don't know how you do it. I remember when I got saved. I remember what I told the Lord. I said, Lord, save me and I will live for you forever. Honest, that was it. And I've always tried to do that. Because of what he did for me. Gratitude. A sense of appreciation. Listen to me this morning. You're doing great disrespect to him. If you're not striving as a believer... To live as he wants you to live. You're not lost if you're saved. But you're breaking the heart of a God. Breaking his heart. You remember what Jesus said? I always do those things which what? Please him. Please him. And as he is, 
so are we in this world. We should live to please him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We trust that we brought some kind of clarity to this great doctrine of salvation. Oh, that our hearts would be overwhelmed with the grace with which you deal with us and extend to us. No merit of our own. Simply the gratuitous love of God. Freely given us righteousness that comes through Christ's redemptive work. You of your own sovereign free will acting in grace makes it available to the one that believes. Oh God, this morning, settle this question in somebody's mind as to what this great salvation is all about. The one that is living in doubt and fear and uncertainty and who's looking towards to themselves for peace and joy and assurance. May they look away from themselves and see Christ and his righteousness in which we are clothed and look to him. Oh, gracious God, how can we ever thank you? How can we ever praise you? What lips, what words, what language? Oh, Father, thanks. Thanks, thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy explains the term propitiation, which is found in our next scripture verse in Romans chapter 3. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.